It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. If you thought we had fully emerged from the COVID pandemic, think again. With the aid of extremely effective and safe vaccines, we have made excellent progress, enough to allow our economy to more fully open. But a significant number of people in our area remain unvaccinated. And with a highly contagious variant in our midst, COVID numbers are back on the rise. And equally as concerning, the number of COVID patients needing hospitalizations has also increased. So what to do? We begin this evening by welcoming Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District, who joins us this evening by phone. And, and Heather, first of all, let's address, I guess, the current case counts. The numbers uh, are, are not where we want them to be, and it's bringing us some unwanted publicity elsewhere around the country. Yeah, unfortunately, that's uh, exactly the trend and the um notoriety that we really didn't want to see happen for the the Benton Franklin and and including the Walla Walla area. So our, our, let's start with the the testing rates. Our positivity rate out at the CDC testing site has bumped up to 15%. And so in the last few days, that just has inched up and inched up and inched up. And we want to see it below 8%. And we really have never dropped that low. And unfortunately, we are seeing it increasing, and that just is direct evidence of the increase in in this virus swirling around in our community. And then when we look at case counts, um, the last seven-day case count is double what it was for the previous seven days. And honestly, we haven't seen case counts this high since February of, of this year, of 2021. And then when we look across to Walla Walla, Um, They had more positive cases um, now than they did in April and May combined. So these three counties, Benton, Franklin, and Walla Walla here in eastern Washington, are certainly not trending in the right direction. Our uh, 100,000 case rate, so Franklin County is at 157.1 per 100,000. And Benton County is at 183.8 per 100,000. So, again, <clears throat> these are not the trends we wanted to see happen. But, unfortunately, if you look to a week and a half ago, that was the 4th of July weekend, and we're probably seeing a, a fair amount of infections related to activities that people were involved with over that weekend. And, and you know, as the economy opened up and... People got excited about getting out and doing things. They tended to get very, very lax with all those mitigation efforts that we've been encouraging them to do. And that is exactly what unfortunately happens in a community when we really do have a virus that is highly, highly contagious. And we're unfortunately seeing predominantly the Delta virus in Washington state and certainly here in the community, without using those protective measures, uh, we're going to see these cases go up. Hospitals are again going to start seeing increase in um, need for that intensive care unit and those extra measures to help people get through this. 
but in general, it really is damaging to our community and, and our economy. In reading some articles about where we stand, and you touched on the comparative numbers of back to February in some uh, situations, that, uh, and I believe it was in Walla Walla County, had, had the, the economic phases that were, st- were they still in place, Walla Walla would be back in phase two. So I, obviously no one wants to go there. And I'm guessing, I think we've touched on this in prior weeks, uh, the vast number of new cases uh, have to be unvaccinated people. Is that still what you're hearing? That's still exactly what we're hearing. About 97 or so percent, 96, 97 percent of people who are catching this, who are hospitalized, very ill with this, are actually the unvaccinated person. So we know it's that unvaccinated person who is still continuing to do those things that are passing it person to person to person. Then there's the the concern, well, what about all the breakthrough cases? So we were able to look at May because there's a bit of a lag time in our data with regard to breakthrough cases. So we looked at our, our uh, May data And for our county, the breakthrough case rate was at 3.7%. And the good news is that's exactly where it was guessed that the efficacy of this vaccine would turn out to be. So we've never said that COVID vaccine is 100% protective against catching disease. It is 100% going to make you less likely to have a severe case or die from COVID, But to have it still holding at 97% effective at preventing disease is is phenomenal data. I come from the vaccine world, and when we see a vaccine that is that good, that is really exciting to us to see that happen. You know, the downside is um, we've hit that part of our population who just are not going to get vaccinated. And truly, if you are choosing not to get vaccinated, then for the safety of your family, the safety of your community, and actually for making sure our economy doesn't go backwards in Benton Franklin County, then it is important, it's, it's imperative that you use those uh, wearing of masks and the social distancing and not gathering, all of those things we've been talking about through this whole pandemic, so that you are not part of spreading this virus to others. You may not get extremely ill with this virus, but you could give it to somebody that it would be lethal and it could kill them. And honestly, a a simple vaccination can prevent so much disease. And with COVID, isn't just you get sick and you get over it. More and more, we're seeing some pretty bad effects that are lingering for months and months and months. Some of our early cases that caught COVID when we were first learning about this are still today suffering side effects from actually having the virus. So this isn't just a a simple common cold virus. This is a, a virus that has the potential to cause a lot of, of harm and health problems for not just the short term, but the long term. And then when we look at our children, we are seeing across the nation that there certainly are children who catch this. There are children who do become very, very ill with it. So, I, you know, I guess my message tonight would be looking at the data and realizing that our unfortunate data is really being driven 
by those people who are choosing not to get vaccinated and cannot stress more now than ever that if we don't want to see ourselves go backwards, we need to get out and get vaccinated. There are a lot of places to get vaccinated. Yes, the CBC West vaccination site will be closing down after this weekend. So get out there, get your vaccine, at least your first one. But realize there are plenty of other places around town. Pharmacies on a regular basis have them. We're working very, very closely with our provider community because in the long run, this should be a vaccine that you go get at your medical provider just like you would a flu shot. COVID isn't done with us. COVID is here to stay. It is just going to be another one of those viral infections that we really need to take precautions, which include getting vaccinated. And at some point, we're, we're certain that there will be consideration for booster vaccines. But right now, especially in Benton, Franklin, and Walla Walla counties, we have got to look at getting those people who are unvaccinated, really encouraging them, please get vaccinated to help improve the health of our community. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, we appreciate your time, and certainly uh, we want to make sure that people heed this message. Every means has been tried, um, political leaders, uh, celebrity leaders. Uh, there's been financial incentives provided, uh, obviously health care experts like yourselves and others in the medical profession. It's time, I think, we uh, really look ourselves in the mirror if we aren't vaccinated and take a hard look and say it's time to get this done. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, thanks so much for your time. Back with more of Catholic on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. If you miss any part of our program today, Cadillac on Call is available via podcast. Just search Cadillac on Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Welcome back to the program. A year ago at this time, it was not unusual for Cadillac Regional Medical Center to see 50 to 60 hospitalized COVID patients in its daily patient load. And as vaccination has arrived, cases went down, hospitalizations went down, often into the single digits earlier this year. But those numbers, as we've touched on, have jumped in recent days. Hospitalized patients at Cadillac have increased into the 20s. And for the latest on the situation at Cadillac, we're happy to welcome Dr. Kevin Pieper, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Cadillac Regional Medical Center. And Dr. Pieper, why don't you just begin uh, those numbers I know they were back into single digits at one point earlier this uh, this year, and um, obviously there has to be some level of concern throughout the hospital. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, even going back just a week ago, we were in the teens, uh, and we've seen our number of admissions double uh, in the last 7 to 10 days. Uh, even more concerning is we've seen the number of patients who actually need intensive care or ventilator support go up significantly. So, uh, that has gone from just a, a small handful to um, uh, several times more than that. We visited with Heather Hill just a moment ago from the health district, and some of the statistical data she was sharing was that uh, obviously 90s in the high 90 percents of the new cases uh, in our area and certainly around the country as well 
are among the unvaccinated, and and I'm guessing that's got to be the case at Catholic as well. But but what level of concern as a physician and as a chief medical officer does this bring you? Obviously, I think people said, well, you know, they're not sick enough. We're still seeing cases, but they're not sick enough to go to the hospital. But you touched on the numbers in the hospital are going up, and those that are in the ICU are up. So I guess that that should bring uh, the public's level of concern up a bit. Yeah, I, I, it just shows that we're not out of the woods. Um, we don't have a high enough vaccination rate within our community to uh, keep the spread of the virus low. Um, we also know from a, a research standpoint that the more uh, infection and spread we have of the virus, the more chance we have for mutations uh, that could render the vaccine ineffective. So um, that's why herd immunity is so important. Um which when you have herd immunity, you're still going to have outbreaks, but they're easily contained. Uh, and we're seeing uh, positivity numbers that tell us that, uh, again, COVID's not contained within our community. If you could address, I know uh, when we've had you on uh, throughout the course of the pandemic over the last 16, 17 months, uh, I know all of the Catholic leaders in the clinical side have, have really um, stress the the great work, obviously, that the staff throughout the the healthcare organization has done. But again, this is going on. We're going 18 months into this thing, and I'm and I'm sure the staff is, while they probably get a little bit of vacation, this is this is not uh, going away for them. So this still has to be rough on the staff. Yeah, it's it's difficult, and we're also seeing a very large number of hospital uh, admissions for non-COVID related disease. So. There seems to be a pent-up demand for care, whether it's neglected disease during the pandemic that now has uh, gotten bad enough to require hospitalization or other surgeries and things that have been put off during that time. We're overflowing with patients a lot of the time. And to com- compound that, our staffing has been very difficult. Uh, I'm sure you've seen with other um uh, areas such as restaurants and, and other businesses that they're struggling to find help. It's the same in healthcare. We have uh, a large number of caregivers who have left healthcare due to the stress of the pandemic, uh, and it's a very competitive market to recruit in new caregivers. So uh, we're struggling with our staffing as well, and this is coming at a time that our caregivers that have stayed and, and worked through all this are tired and burned out and need a vacation on top of that. And uh, it makes it difficult for them to come in and do extra shifts or help out in any extra way possible. T- take us back a year. I, I touched on uh, in the intro to, to you appearing is that Cadillac was seeing numbers of hospitalized patients into the 60s at this time a year ago. And I know we're not close to that, but the fact that we have a vaccine available and we're still seeing numbers climbing back up, is is that what makes this a little more, I guess, confounding maybe is the best word to describe it? Um, you know, it's frustrating, I think, for, for everyone providing care because we have a solution to it, and that's to get vaccinated. Um, and um, obviously there's, there's a, a large divide uh, in how people feel about the vaccine, um, but um, not hitting those herd immunity numbers as a community puts all of the community at risk. Uh, and uh, it feels like uh, we're providing care and, and ill or dying from an uh, infection that you can pain uh, with the vaccination. 
Where back to the to the staff and and what and how they're taking care of patients. I remember early on and just you know it was something like a learning experience, seemingly every day of what we every time we'd come on there was some new therapy and you know the medical side, but just even some of the techniques they're using. Obviously, the staff is as a year into this. Is is it? I know it's not old hat, but is it still the same types of things? When you get into an ICU, you still have to wear the PPE and all of those things that we would touched on so many times, uh, these infection control practices that make it incredibly hard on the staff. Yeah, we still have all those protocols in place. Um, we've gotten better at it. Um, we've refined our protocols, so uh, it doesn't feel as experimental, and we feel like we're protecting our caregivers and physicians a lot better than uh, we did previously. We don't have shortages of PPE, which is, is very helpful. Um uh, and the treatments, we, we have a better idea of how to treat these patients, and so our outcomes are better. Um, but we're also learning more about the chronic effects of having a COVID infection and that there seems to be some sequelae or side effects that never go away. And maybe let's, I want to finish, we have just a couple of minutes left, back to this this vaccine. And, 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 and I know, obviously, as I touched on with Heather Hill, um, you know, locally, regionally, nationally, every step is being uh, trying to be implemented uh, with spokespeople from the medical side, the public health side, the entertainment side, the professional sports side, the political side, uh, you name it. Um, but is is it a point where we just have to keep trying to um, pick people off one by one, so to speak, and, and hopefully that they will see the need to get vaccinated, knowing that that's how we get out of this? Yeah, and I look at it from the standpoint of every additional person we vaccinate is potentially a life saved. Uh, if not their own, then maybe someone they back with. Um, so we need to keep pushing forward. Um, and, you know, the, it's hard to right now that, you know, Benton and Franklin counties are some of the uh, counties with the lowest vaccination rates, uh, yet we are um, leading the West Coast in number of uh, COVID infections, new COVID infections. So um, it, it's not hard to correlate those two things together. Well, if you would, I know, and you've you've kind of already touched on it uh, in, in virtually every answer that you've given. But as a as a as a health provider who is, you know, you're, you're a physician by training, and and you mentioned the word frustrating, but maybe uh, a takeaway message for people if they're sitting at home and you know going, okay, Doctor Peeper, I, I think you know this does concern me. Um, you know, what's the final selling point from a medical professional's viewpoint on? Um, getting people to get that vaccine? You know, I think important thing to realize is most healthcare providers have stepped up and been first in line for a vaccine that uh, received emergency use authorization. So we're willing to take the chance and be the first to be vaccinated. We've seen very little side effects. Uh, We've also been ones to, um, when it's been appropriate and where they fit in the risk stratification system to get our family vaccinated. So, you know, uh, it was a sigh of relief when my entire family was finally vaccinated. Uh, and I think if people have questions, and um, they should uh, make an appointment with their physician, someone they, a physician that they trust, and have a discussion about it rather than doing your own research or uh, seeing what's posted on social media, there's so 
much more reliable data that you can get from your healthcare provider. Dr. Kevin Pieper, Catholic Regional Medical Center, thanks so much for taking the time. Again, please pass along our great thanks to the entire team uh, and the healthcare community who is continuing to take care of patients, COVID and otherwise. We'll be back with the second half of Catholic on Call right after this. listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. Now, speaking of the Catholic Foundation, the charitable and philanthropic arm of Catholic plays a key role in generating vital contributions in support of health services and programs. Each year, the Catholic Foundation awards tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships, provides funding for programs like Catholic's Canine Security Team, and has helped fund millions of dollars of capital and equipment projects over the years. Tonight, an example of that generosity of community donors. The Catholic Foundation Board recently approved a grant for three nitrous oxide machines for use by Catholic Emergency Department and pediatric staff. Joining us now with more is Crystal Norris, a clinical educator in the Catholic Emergency Department. And Crystal's a nurse by training and helped lead the effort to secure foundation funding for these machines. Crystal, why don't you begin by just sharing with our listeners what these nitrous machines are used for and what types of patients will benefit the most? Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, so we are really excited about getting these nitrous oxide machines implemented in the main emergency department as well as our freestanding emergency department pediatric floor. And so what these machines do is they really offer us a really quick and effective way to provide minimal sedation for patients. And so we plan to use them as a option for pain management for lots of different types of painful procedures. So um, in adult and pediatric patients, you know, people who are anxious and experience uh, difficulty with IV starts or need a urinary catheter place. We see lots of kiddos who need their laceration stitched up. And so this provides us a really safe and effective way to help kind of ease their way throughout those procedures. So we're really looking forward to, to getting these rolled out in the department. And as you touched on, uh, I guess nitrous oxide is also known as laughing gas, right? <laughs> Correct, yes. <laughs> and so that's the, the, the concept at work here. It, it helps uh, ease the anxiety of patients, and particularly as you touched on the pediatric population. Yes, yeah. So kiddos often come in and are pretty, you know, anxious. They're unfamiliar with the healthcare setting and we're doing lots of things to them that aren't really enjoyable. And so it does provide that little bit of pain relief and kind of that um, gives them a bit of euphoric effect. And so um, they really benefit when they're experiencing something painful. It really helps ease, especially our pediatric patient population way. And so this would be used uh, for guests, uh, listeners that may not be aware. Catholic obviously has the main emergency department on the hospital campus in Richland, but the freestanding emergency department, which is over in central Kennewick, too. So it will be used there as well. That is correct. Yep. And we do see um, over 7,000 pediatric patients last year in 2020 at each facility. So there's a significant amount of patients we're hoping to be able to provide this service to. 
So 7,000 ER patients are of the pediatric population, and, and obviously not all would require the use of a nitrous, but I'm sure, uh, obviously, as you touched on, um, some of these these uh, diagnostic tests or, or medical needs that they are needing, uh, they can help in that regard. Absolutely, yeah. It's just really another tool in the toolbox um, for us to offer to patients and their families, you know, to make their their care a little bit more manageable. And maybe touch on that a little bit. Uh, over the years, I know uh, you're obviously a nurse by training, and, and in the emergency department setting and all throughout whenever there's uh, pediatric patients there, I know a lot of great care is provided and, and taken by the staff to uh, whether it's through, you know, nitrous oxide types of work, but just even the, the the verbal interaction among the staff. Talk a little bit about how you approach that in those departments with, with young patients. Yeah, so fortunately, we are so blessed to have a child life specialist, Jennifer Jones, on staff at the main campus. And she really has spearheaded a lot of efforts and training for our nursing staff, particularly those staff in the emergency department. So with all of our new hires that come into the ER, we all hear from Jenny about, you know, using comfort holds to make those patients feel safe while we're doing procedures. You know, we do have different topical anesthetics we can apply before anticipated painful procedures. Um, We also have pediatric carts that Jenny has put together. And we have things, you know, like bubbles, stickers, just really anything that we can do to interact with those pediatric patients and make them feel warm and welcome and really start their healthcare experience off on a positive note. So she's been instrumental in that. And as I said, we incorporate that with all of our new hires. And I think that learning kind of those tips and tricks from a child life specialist has has been of great benefit to our staff. And we touched on that your title in the emergency department is as a clinical educator. So is that pretty uh, pretty self-described title is that you do things like what Jenny does is help train the emergency department staff, whether it's with pediatric issues like this or anything that they may come across in the emergency department? Is that the role of a clinical educator? Yeah, yeah, that is primarily my role. So I help in the onboarding of all new emergency department and freestanding staff and provide continuing education. You know, so while we implement these nitrous oxide machines, I've spearheaded the training and making sure that we have all the correct policies and procedures and safeguards in place for for projects like this as well. And the Catholic Foundation, as we touched on, supports dozens of projects and services like these each year. As a Catholic caregiver, what does it mean to you to see the generosity shown by the donors to the Catholic Foundation to make projects like this possible? Yeah, I think that, you know, for myself and on behalf of really the entire emergency department and pediatric team, we're just so grateful to have something like the Catholic Foundation accessible to us. You know, this particular project was something that we couldn't have done without the support of the Catholic Foundation. And so, you know, this was really something above and beyond that we were able to grow in our own practice. But also, you know, they were supportive of adding a new service for care, you know, to our community. And so I think having that kind of support and having, um, you know, those funds available is just really invaluable. 
And, and maybe one final comment to tie everything, like our whole program has been tonight, uh, giving uh, attention to where we stand with COVID. But, but certainly the pandemic has taken an impact on the pediatric population, certainly uh, whether it's medically or, or emotionally, obviously with the impacts that it's had on schools. So I'm sure uh, just anything that can be done to help enhance the care of the pediatric population uh, within the clinical setting has to be a, a good thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, it's really unfortunate. We've seen a lot of emotional distress in our in our young people in the community. And so, like you said, Jim, I think anything that we can do to ease their way when they're in our care is going to be of great benefit. Well, Crystal Norris, on behalf of everybody here, thank you and pass along our great gratitude to uh, the rest of the emergency department team, the pediatric staff, and all the caregivers at Cadillac. Obviously, uh, I know it's an extremely busy time and continues to be with COVID and otherwise, and we really appreciate uh, the work that the team does all throughout the year 24-7. Well, we appreciate all that you and the foundation do, so thank you for having me tonight, Jim. Crystal Norris, a clinical educator in the Cadillac Emergency Department. We thank her for taking some time to be with us. We'll be back with the remaining minutes of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. And welcome back to the program and back to the phones we go where we say hello to Chris Porter. Chris is the board chair of the Cadillac Foundation and part of a dedicated group of Cadillac volunteers who give of their time to help raise money in support of Cadillac programs and services just like the one you learned about with Crystal Norris of the Cadillac Emergency Department. Thanks, Chris, for taking some time to be with us. Why don't you begin, if you would, with just a brief overview of the Cadillac Foundation from your view and why you feel it's personally important to be part of it. Absolutely. Jim, thank you for having me on. I've been part of the Cadillac Foundation for about six years now, and it's a wonderful organization. We've seen over the past several years uh, hospitals' uh, reimbursement rates are down, hospital margins are thinning, and it's very difficult for a hospital to purchase needed equipment without the support of donors. So that is the role of the foundation, uh, to raise money for important equipment, uh, like what was talked about uh, a few minutes ago with the nitrous machines, and also community health organizations, community health projects, and um, scholarships for students studying medicine. Maybe let's pick on that one right now, the scholarship world. I know, obviously, uh, in the first part of our program, uh, we had heard about the healthcare world in general as related to COVID, but we've also heard for years about some of the shortages of of healthcare in in the workforce arena. And so the scholarships provided by donors to the Catholic Foundation are even more critical. And I know ours here in the Tri-Cities are administered through Columbia Basin College and Washington State University. I'm guessing you get to read some of the um, stories of some of the recipients. It must make you feel good when you read those. Absolutely. Uh, It's wonderful to hear. Um, We have an annual golf tournament in August, and the intent of the golf tournament is to raise money for scholarships of students going into medicine, mostly nursing at CBC, like you mentioned. And I know one of the recipients uh, very well. He received a scholarship many years ago, and he currently works as a nurse at Cadillac, and uh, he shows up to our golf tournament every year. 
and always thanks us uh, for the support. It's been many years since he graduated, but he remembers uh, what a gift that was to receive a scholarship. And as you touched on, uh, it's the CBC. There's, it's not just nursing, but with Washington State University, uh, these students can, and both CBC and WSU, they can, they can ultimately obtain four-year degrees. And I know at WSU, they can, if they wanted to, go as far as becoming a, a doctorate of a, as a nurse practitioner. So, the, really, the sky's a limit uh, right here in this community. Is that all the more reason to support scholarships, Chris? Absolutely. Uh, We're setting these young people up for a great career for them to support themselves, to support their families, and also, of course, to give back to the community and to help elevate community health in the Tri-Cities. And, you know, take a a minute, if you would, as the chair of this board, I know, talk a little bit about its makeup. These are all volunteers. They're all people from all across our community, right, that that, uh, give of their time to to help further the the benefit of, of Catholic as a health care organization. Yeah, absolutely. We have about 26 board members. They are from various walks of life. Some of them are retired. Many of them are currently working in banking and real estate, in uh, accounting, financial advisory. Uh, We just have a great um, group of board members from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. I shouldn't say that on the live radio, should I? And... um, and, you know, different age groups. And we get together at least monthly and talk about the needs in our community and how we could best address them. And maybe if you would, uh, this Nitrous Project each year, I know um, uh, not everything from a capital improvement process uh, within the Catholic system can be funded. So is that where the foundation comes in? And I know uh, where where there's equipment that can be provided is the key um, this project, the Nitrous Project, benefits pediatric patients, but I'm guessing the projects, the foundations, ends up supporting cut all across the Catholic system? Absolutely. Yeah, over the years, we've supported projects that have benefited, uh, you know, neonatal care in the, um, in the NICU, uh, pediatric care, obviously, and uh, cancer care, elderly care, just across the spectrum of health needs. Uh, where those pieces of equipment can be purchased with Cadillac funds and within the budget. Of course, that's where they go first. But where that's not possible, they ask for money from the foundation. And most, more often than not, we're able to meet those requests. And maybe if you would touch a little bit, I know uh, with the heat that we have just uh, faced in, in the past or in the midst of still, but I know a few weeks ago when that temperatures were up in the 115 range, I know the board stepped up in a and a, and a request from the mission here in town just to, to provide some funding to help uh, keep people hydrated appropriately, especially those who are most vulnerable. Exactly. Uh, we approved a $1,000 grant request for the Union Gospel Mission, our local homeless shelter, to provide bottled water and Gatorade and, and other uh, beverages that could help in this terrible heat wave we've gone through. And other community projects, I know, and is that maybe the role of the foundation is 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 seeking, um, you know, there's programs like the community may be aware of, the Healthy Ages program, that's funded through another group of volunteers at Catholic, the volunteers of the Catholic Auxiliary, uh, which comes through the Catholic Foundation. So, again, there's volunteers of all ages and uh, backgrounds that come together in support of, of Catholic programs, right? So it's these community health programs, too, which are vitally important. Absolutely. And that's the mission of the Catholic Foundation is to elevate community health. 
And uh, recently, we approved a $40,000 grant uh, for community health programs, including suicide prevention. And that, of course, is something that has touched so many of us. Um, mental health is something we talk about a lot, we worry about a lot. And um, we have several uh, free educational seminars that are put on with funds and sponsorships of the Catholic Foundation. Well, Chris, I'll give you maybe one more minute, if you would, to put on your fundraising hat as a takeaway message for our, our listeners tonight. But, but you know, maybe from you, who's been involved uh, for six years of your time, you think it's vitally important. But, you know, maybe a, a message uh, that may, may touch the heartstrings of one of our listeners about the importance of, of being a charitable supporter of, of valuable organizations like your health care providers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, frequently our, our heartstrings are tugged on uh, from messages by great organizations such as St. Jude's and others that are trying to fight cancer and young people. But right here in our community, we have great needs. And, you know, recently we approved a grant to buy glucose um, meters for diabetes patients that can't afford them. So when you make a gift to the Cadillac Foundation, you are helping the poor and vulnerable right here in our community. And you're also helping to elevate our community's health and helping your grandparents or parents or sons and daughters, those that live right here in the community, all of those dollars, 100% of your gift stays here in the community to elevate our health of the community. Well, well said, Chris Porter, uh, the chair of the Catholic Foundation Board. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. And and I guess the the theme, we always tie it back to COVID-19, trying to provide our community the latest and most uh, credible information we can on the status of COVID-19. And and certainly it it illustrates the importance of having a strong health care system here in our community. Chris Porter of the Catholic Foundation, if you would like to find out more information about the work of the foundation at Catholic, you can visit catholic.org slash foundation. Our thanks to Chris Porter, to Crystal Norris, Dr. Kevin Pieper, and to Heather Hill in the first half of our program. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk again next week on Catholic Uncalled.